Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that marks the milestones of history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at how one New Englander's weird political bet transformed the mundane act of walking into America's new favorite pastime. The day was February 22, 1861. After losing a bet, Edward Payson Weston embarked on a 478-mile walk from Boston to Washington, D.C. According to the terms of the bet, he had to arrive at the U.S. Capitol in time to attend Abraham Lincoln's inauguration on the morning of March 4th. That means he had just 10 days to cover nearly 500 miles, on foot, in the dead of winter. Weston was born in Providence, Rhode Island, on March 15, 1839. He grew up in a middle-class family and went to school in Boston. Later, he bounced from one career to the next, first apprenticing with a jeweler in Providence and then taking a job at a newspaper in New York. At one point, he even ran away and joined the circus. By his early 20s, Weston still didn't have a clear career path, but his talent for self-promotion always kept him comfortable, and in the years ahead, it would provide him with much more than that. Weston's unusual athletic career began with a bad bet 
during the presidential election of 1860. He had bet against Lincoln winning the White House, and his friend, George Eddy, had bet in Lincoln's favor. The loser would have to walk nearly 500 miles from the Massachusetts State House to the Capitol for Lincoln's inauguration, and just to make it extra difficult, they would have just 10 days to do it. That November, Weston lost his bet when Lincoln won the election, claiming 39.8% of the popular vote in a four-way race. On New Year's Day 1861, Weston decided it was time to start practicing. He walked from New Haven, Connecticut to Hartford, Connecticut, and back again in less than 24 hours, a round-trip distance of about 72 miles. A man taking a long walk might not seem like national news, but the New York Times felt differently. The paper reported about Weston's big upcoming walk, and for the next two months, his name was seldom absent from the country's headlines. Weston used this publicity to attract several sponsors to foot the bill for his journey. After all, he would need plenty of money for food and lodging along the way, as well as for a horse-drawn carriage to carry spare clothing and supplies. Two men would also need to be hired to follow along in the carriage and make sure Weston actually walked the entire way. In addition to money and basic supplies, one sponsor, the Rubber Clothing Company, also gave Weston a special rubber suit to help keep him dry in the winter weather. It's unclear how Weston would have accomplished his trip without the aid of sponsors, but I think the truth is he never intended to find out. Before leaving Boston, he printed up stacks of advertising flyers, which he would then leave at various stops along his route to help entice new sponsors. This was crucial because Weston didn't have much money of his own. In fact, his departure on February 22nd was slightly delayed because a constable arrested him at the State House for unpaid debts. He quickly talked his way out of custody, pledging to repay the debt once he returned from Washington. With that out of the way, Weston set out from Boston in the early afternoon, followed closely behind by his attendants in the carriage. A crowd of supporters cheered him on his way, and that evening in the town of Framingham, he was greeted by a drum corps and treated to a fancy dinner. That kind of pampering proved to be the norm for much of Weston's trip. Thanks to a route schedule he had printed in advance, crowds of well-wishers met him at every stop along the way. This kind of enthusiasm resulted in most places not charging Weston for food or lodging, unbeknownst to his sponsors. However, charity wasn't the only repeat occurrence on Weston's trip. He also got arrested again, too. When he reached Worcester at midnight on his first day, a sheriff was waiting to arrest him, this time for a different unpaid debt. His pledge to repay the debt in two months wasn't going over as well in Worcester, but when two fans volunteered to guarantee his promise, the sheriff agreed and set Weston loose again. That was his last brush with the law on the long road to Washington, but the rest of the trip was still no picnic. It rained or snowed for more hours than not, and in one town, he was chased by a dog and wound up spraining his ankle. Later, in Pennsylvania, he got turned around and wound up taking the wrong road for several hours. 
Then there was the day when Weston reported a severe pain in his chest, something he later attributed to, quote, the eating of mustard on sandwiches. Thankfully, he pulled through. In the end, Edward Payson Weston arrived in Washington, D.C. at 5 p.m. on March 4, 1860. He had been on the road for 10 days, 4 hours, and 12 minutes. Unfortunately, that put him into town several hours too late to witness Lincoln's inauguration. Still, since he had come all that way, Weston decided to make the most of it. He attended the inauguration ball that evening, where he met members of Congress, First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln, and the President himself. Abraham Lincoln reportedly offered to pay for Weston's train ticket home, but he refused, saying that he intended to vindicate himself by walking back to Boston in less than ten hours. Needless to say, that uh, didn't happen. Weston technically lost the bet due to his late arrival, but his successful promotion of the journey had left him with a new profession, a nice consolation prize. From then on, he would be known as Weston the Pedestrian, a professional walker who helped launch a national craze for long-distance walking, also known as pedestrianism. Seriously, it's hard to imagine today, but in the late 1800s, competitive walking became America's favorite spectator sport. There were two flavors of pedestrianism. The first was outdoor destination walking, like the kind that first made Weston famous. Once the sport had taken shape in the late 1860s, Weston won all kinds of cash prizes for walking from one place to another. And then he further capitalized on those trips by lecturing on the benefits of walking and by publishing melodramatic accounts of his adventures on the road. One of his early career highlights was walking the 1,200-plus miles from Portland, Maine to Chicago, Illinois in just 26 days. That hike made him a household name, and he quickly followed it up with other stunts, like the time in 1871 when he walked 200 miles around St. Louis, backwards. In the 1870s, pedestrianism hit peak popularity with the emergence of its second form, track walking. These events were usually held inside, at a skating rink or a big exhibition hall or arena. In walking matches, competitors would agree to walk around a track for a certain period of time, or to a certain distance, or just until the other walker got exhausted and could no longer continue. There were also record attempts, where a competitor would walk the track alone, racing the clock to beat a previous best time. Crowds for such events could number in the thousands for larger venues, like Madison Square Garden, for instance. But, alas, America's love affair with pedestrianism proved short-lived. By the 1890s, the rise of the bicycle and of baseball had stolen what little allure there was to watching two men walk in circles for hours on end. The final nail in the coffin came in the mid-1890s, when charges of race-fixing and drug use gave the sport a black eye. When Weston himself was caught chewing coca leaves during a race for an extra boost of energy, public sentiment turned quickly, and pedestrianism never recovered. Still, even once his sport lost its luster, Weston kept right on walking. In fact, at age 68, 
he walked from Maine to Chicago again, and that time, he did it in 24 hours less than he had in his 20s. The old pro took his last big hike in 1913, when he was 74 years old. On that outing, he walked from New York to Minneapolis in 51 days, selling a 10-cent souvenir program all along the way. Unfortunately, Weston's walking career came to a sad, abrupt end in 1927, when he was struck by a taxicab in New York City. He never walked again, and died two years later, at the age of 90. Throughout his life, Weston walked an odd path, going from an aimless young man to a reckless salesman to a beloved professional athlete. His sport of choice may seem silly and quaint by today's standards, but it entertained hundreds of thousands of people during its brief rise to fame. In the years following the Civil War, it also gave a still-fractured country something harmless to bond over. In that way, pedestrianism was just as legitimate a sport as any other, even if it was more boring than baseball. That's right, I said it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. A big thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. Every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. 
Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.